Wonders History Podcast and a new episode about Ottoman Sultan Selim II and also one of the most important figures at the Porte and the Ottoman Empire during his reign, financier Joseph Nasi, also called Mikas or Mikiel. In the previous episode, we talked about Grand Vizier Mehmed Sokolu Pasha and how he had to navigate his way up to the top of the Ottoman hierarchy during three different sultans but also his bitter clash and rivalry with Joseph Nasi. Before we continue, I would like to remind you to please hit that subscribe button to make sure you never miss any new material from the podcast. Let us resume. Ottoman historians and orientalists, such as Nikolai Yorga, Aurel Dece, von Hammer, have argued that Selim II's ascension to the Ottoman throne in 1566 resulted or at least greatly contributed to what was seen as an inevitable decline of the Ottoman Empire after what had been a zenith reached under Suleiman the Magnificent. They highlight Selim's decision to not lead himself the Ottoman armies as a factor for the mixed results of the Ottoman military during his reign. Aurel Dece argued that the influence of Mehmed Sokoli and generally the viziers had been overestimated. Nonetheless, with the exceptions of Sharier, Kenneth Seton, and especially Cecil Roth, the impact of Joseph Nasi had been greatly overlooked by historians. In this episode, we will explain the history and overwhelming influence Joseph Nasi had on Ottoman policies in the second half of the 16th century and how they directly affected Ottoman-Venetian relations, but also the Porte's diplomacy with the major European powers. The understanding of Selim II's reign relies upon assessing the impact of Nazi's policies that greatly contrasted that of his fierce rival, Mehmed Sokolu Pasha. One of Nazi's main objectives revolved around his main goal of providing refuge to persecuted Jews from Europe, thus Cyprus the jewel of the Venetian Commonwealth, became the main target for the Jewish financier who until 1570 already possessed the Duchy of Naxos and also Tiberias. Thus, Venetian loss of Cyprus and consequently the economic and military decline of the Republic in the Mediterranean are linked in the 16th century with what I consider to be one of the most effective diplomatic weapons of the Ottoman empires against European powers, as Nasi himself possessed vast spies and information networks in Spain, Italy, France, and the Holy Roman Empire. Joseph Nasi's rise to prominence was neither meteoric nor coincidental. It was the result of a carefully well-devised plan that was combined with an extraordinary versatility He was knighted by Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, and he was well acquainted with Maximilian II, this giving him sufficient political capital to merge with the vast finances resulted from the inheritance of the Mendes Banking House, of which he was part of. The expansion of his enterprise in Lyon would put him in direct contact with the French crown, starting a very turbulent dispute over a debt of over 200,000 ducats which would have a severe impact on the future Franco-Ottoman relations. Time and time again, Joseph Nasi had to relocate. By 1550, he was established, but had to leave Lyon, Milan, Venice. In Venice, his family was 
prosecuted by the Republic's government. Furthermore, he had a solid friendship with Onkeneira, one of the most reputed families from Salonique. Eventually, in the early 1550s, Joseph Nasi permanently established himself in Constantinople, where he entered Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent's circle of advisors. Thus, he immediately became an important figure at the Porte, and his support for Selim during his dispute with Bayezid in 1559 reveals how strategical Nasi was. Paolo Parota was one of the first early modern historians to highlight that since he was governor of the Magnesian province, Selim publicly declared his wish to rule over Cyprus. Bernard Nav Navagero, in his report to the Signori, warned the Senate of Venice that should Selim succeed his father as Ottoman Sultan, Venetian Cyprus and the Ottoman peace of the Republic would be in great peril. The Venetians ignored deliberately or not, these warnings. It would seem that the Venetian government also underestimated the impact Joseph Nasi would have over military and economic affairs of the Ottoman Empire. Paolo Paruta underlined the fact that the Venetians always wanted to avoid summoning councils of war against the Ottomans, as their peace was vital and a priority. Venice wanted to renew peace in 1566 because of, quote, how unfortunate they have been in waging war with Suleiman, and, quote, how little reason they had to trust the help of other men, end quote. This is a direct reference to the third Ottoman-Venetian war between 1537 and 1540. It is a direct reference to the so-called assistance from Andrea Doria and Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor and King of Spain. The first few years of Selim II's reign as Ottoman Sultan are generally considered by historians such as Fernand Brotel as a period of temporary inactivity in the Mediterranean because of various economic struggles and rebellions within the Ottoman Empire. Yet according to Paolo Paruta, Selim II's intentions were to continue his father's war against Spain and defeat Philip II. Yet the magnitude of a direct assault on Spain would have greatly jeopardized his position in the event of a failure. He applauded the initiative of the Moriscos in 1568 in what was a spontaneous revolt less than 400 kilometers from Madrid. The first four years of Salim's reign displayed an interesting compliant attitude towards Venice, with Paruta crediting it as the work of Mehmed Sokolu Pasha, a fierce advocate for Venetian peace, who valued the continuation of commerce with the Venetians, as we talked about in the previous episode. Joseph Nasi's power would continue to grow at the Porte in Constantinople. Nasi also had princely ambitions and wished for his dominions to be a haven for persecuted Jews from Europe. He and his family sought to revive the ancient city of Tiberias, and his confirmation as Duke of Naxos in 1566 brought him in direct conflict with the Venetian Republic. This was because the last Catholic Duke of Naxos was under the protection of the Venetians. Ultimately, Nasi's goal was to rule over Cyprus, as the Venetian-owned kingdom 
had already a strong and established Jewish presence, far from the grasp of the Inquisition and also close to Constantinople and the Levant. It also seemed that during the early stages of Selim II's reign, the French would have to worry about Joseph Nasi's rising power at the Porte. Despite of apparent good relations between the French crown and the Sultan, the lower-ranking officials of the two factions often conflicted. In 1562, Joseph Nasi tried to interfere with Giseline de Busbeck's mission assigned to release Spanish prisoners from Gerba. Additionally, prior to the investiture of Sokoli in 1565, French ambassadors had troublesome relations with the previous Grand Viziers, such as Rustem Pasha and Ali Pasha. There would be a constant negative and deteriorating relationship between French ambassadors, such as Cordignac de la Vigne, Jean Dolu Grandchamp, and Joseph Nassi who insisted throughout Selim's entire reign restitution of the debt owed by the French crown, which was annulled by the French government. Thus, the relations between the French and the Ottomans were very, very different from what it used to be during the reigns of Francis I, with his cooperation of Suleiman the Magnificent. Returning to Joseph Nasi, Nasi's financial problems were as numerous as his enterprises. The Jewish diplomat and financier was greatly indebted to the imperial treasury as a result of unpaid customs. This was a primary incentive for him to demand the restitution of his 150,000 ducat loan, cancelled by the French authorities as he had broken the law by owning the business while concealing his Jewish identity to the French government. Selim's involvement in this case in 1564 by asking his father Suleiman for a resolve on this delicate matter demonstrated that Nazi's debt gradually became an Ottoman problem as well, which was met with French delays justified by their ambassadors as a result of internal struggles in France. The Venetians themselves would experience a similar diplomatic turbulence at the Porte as one Aron Segura had been arrested in 1567 in Venice after his business went bankrupt. The major problem with this was that Segura was an acquaintance of Nasi and Sultan Selim II was his creditor. Marino Cavalli, Venetian ambassador in Constantinople, also became engulfed in rampant corruption at the Porte and it became known for accepting bribes from Jewish financiers, including Nasi in Constantinople. Cavalli was the intermediary that had paid Segura's 100,000 scudi release bail, required to not provoke the Sultan and his trusted advisor, Nasi. However, through the diplomatic correspondence of the bylaws, we can deduce that Segura's arrest added to the already substantial enmity that Nasi bore towards the Venetian Republic, described as a plus grand acharnement by Charrière, a great wrath. It is of substantial relevance to mention that the rigidity of the Venetian government was partially to blame for this mutual conflict with Nasi, as the Senate and Council of Ten would make no concessions to the Jewish diplomat and financier. Before permanently relocating to Constantinople in the early 1550s, Nasi, while still under the Christian name of João Miguez, 
proposed to the Venetian government the establishment of a small autonomous regions in Dalmatia and the Ionian Islands as points or havens for persecuted Jews. The entire operation would be done with Venetian overlordship and would have been rewarded with a boost in trade with Nazis' financial enterprises. But Nazis' proposal was met with a firm and quick rejection, and Cecil Roth argued that the finances of the Republic were stable and their priority was the maintenance of Ottoman peace. While it is true, one has to consider that the Venetians also tried to preserve functioning relationships with the papacy, and granting Nazi great privileges would have been problematic for Venetian papal diplomacy, despite of the fact that Venetian Cyprus had a well-established Jewish population. The Venetians would miss a great opportunity by refusing Nazi's plan. It would have been a great opportunity for them to create more amicable relations with someone who ultimately became the Republic's greatest enemies during before and after the Ottoman-Venetian War of Cyprus, especially because Cyprus was geographically very close to the Holy Lands, where Nasi attempted to restore Tiberius to its former glory, and thus could have acted as a vital link to his enterprise. Interestingly, Venice allowed for Jews persecuted, mainly in the Papal States, to travel to Tiberius through its port prior to 1570, an undertaking which was financially supported by Nazi. So there was room for maneuver and even a potential pacification of relations between the Venetian Republic and Joseph Nazi, but it never came to be. Moreover, we see Selim II, before commencing military hostilities in Cyprus, the Ottoman Sultan had sent Chawush Kubad with an ultimatum to Venice, demanding the peaceful delivery of the Kingdom of Cyprus. Moreover, Kubad had a secondary mission to resolve the situation involving Nazis' debt. This reflects an alteration of the Porte's European diplomacy and a correlation between the deterioration of Franco-Ottoman relations during Selim II in what was perceived as an inevitable war in Cyprus against the Venetians. Nazi's growing influence inevitably collided with Venetian activity in the eastern Mediterranean. His investiture in 1566 as the new Duke of Naxos stood out as a testimony of Nazi's ambitions and the Sultan's favoritism. Until the mid-16th century, the renowned archipelago of Naxos was ruled by the Crispi family of Veronese origins. Since the 13th century, it was under the protection of the Venetians, with whom it had strong economic ties. The Duchy of Naxos represented an example of a recurring conflict between the local Greek Orthodox population and the foreign Latin in the Aegean and the Levant, hence Cyprus and Crete. Giacomo IV, the last Christian duke, proved unable to contain the unrest of the Greek nobility and in 1566 had asked the newly confirmed Sultan Selim II to intervene. In what was one of his first acts as Ottoman ruler, Selim II invested Nasi as the new Duke of Naxos as he had promised increased tribute and better administration of the archipelago. The importance of this sudden and undisputed 
naming of Nasi has been ignored by many historians, and it was briefly discussed by Seton. The Duchy of Naxos had great economic and strategic value for Venice. It was part of a trade route to the Black Sea and a large exporter of marble. Of great significance was also the presence of three episcopal sees, revealing the influence of Venetian Catholicism. Of relevance for Nasi would be his own wine trade, adding to his exporting monopoly from Crete towards Moldova and Wallachia. In 1566, the Venetians chose to not react in a military fashion to this change of rule in Naxos. A century and a half later, the balance of power between the Venetians and Ottomans had drastically changed, and Venice would choose to not compromise the peace with the Sultan in his inaugural year of rule. Hence, Nasi had acquired a valuable dominion, and in 1568, he forbade commerce of food supplies to any Venetian colonies. Affected by this exclusion would be Tenos, Crete, and most importantly, Cyprus. Giacomo IV, former Duke of Naxos, would receive a celebratory welcoming to Venice and Rome, which when analyzed with the Venetian attempt to seize the duchy during the War of Cyprus in 1570, showed that Venice had planned a riposte against Selim and Nasi once hostilities began. Prior to the beginning of the War of Cyprus in 1570, Franco-Ottoman relations reached a critical point as there was an embargo on French ships in Alexandria. Also in 1568, in the port of Alexandria, French, Venetian and Ragusan ships were temporarily seized as local authorities were unable to distinguish the French commercial fleet from which Nasi was seeking a forced comp compensation. The fact that this measure got extended to the ports of Algiers and Tripoli demonstrated the sheer amount of power Nasi could exert over the northern African Ottoman dominions. Selim II intervened in September of 1568 and clarified the situation involving the Venetian and Ragusan ships. While the French ships remained under embargo, this demonstrated that Joseph Nasi was willing to cause substantial damage not just to French but also Venetian Levantine trade in order to recover his debt and was not afraid to make complete use of his power. This placed him, in terms of combined economic and political power, dangerously close to Mehmed Sokoli Pasha, and the report of Bailo Barbaro to the Doge portrayed the rivalry between the two and the nearly unconditioned favor of the Sultan in the following statement. Quote, in this connection, I should mention that although Mikiel is so hated by the Pasha that he has often tried to reduce him to ruin in various ways, the other has always managed to save himself, the Grand Seigneur himself excusing him and defending him on several occasions. Many persons thinking the reason for this is that he is very frequently pleases the Grand Seigneur and various of the principal agas of his court with trivial presents of comestibles. As a result of these gifts, the latter takes every occasion to be in service to him with the Grand Seigneur. It is thus that he is able to maintain himself in spite of Mehmet Pasha, who is his mortal enemy.
Nazis demand for the restitution of his debts from the French crown actually received legal support as Sultan Selim II agreed to ratify a firman or a law which stated that ships with cargo worth more than a thousand ducats should be detained until full compensation from the French crown was complete. This in turn proved to be a very blunt and poor strategic fought from the Sultan as it gave Nasi the legal power to violently breach the 1535 Franco-Turkish Commercial Treaty, a pillar of the economic and political alliance of the two powers. This is very important and relevant because in a similar way, under the strong recommendation, one can say urging from Nasi, Selim II would breach the Ottoman-Venetian peace of 1540, which was renewed in 1567, and he attacked Cyprus under machinated pretexts. From the early beginnings of the Ottoman-Venetian War of Cyprus, we see that the French tried to do as much as possible to immediately pacify the two factions. By the 1st of March 1569, the French also displayed a desire to deal with Nazis' demands. It had been a very difficult matter which required not only to dispatch the agent Claude de Bourg, but also the in intervention of Seigneur de Guérin, former French treasurer and staunch supporter of French Levantine trade. Ultimately, as mentioned in the previous episode, in October 1569, a new commercial treaty between the French and the Ottomans was ratified and re-established trade between the Ottoman Empire and France. This can be regarded as a French diplomatic victory, a notable win for Mehmed Sokoli, who had supported Guérin's mission, and it was a minor blow to Joseph Nasi. As a side note, it is interesting to observe an episode from 1568, when Joseph Nasi actually made contact with William the Silent, during his rebellion in the Netherlands. Uh, it was also mentioned that the Prince of Orange had set an agent to Nasi, not the Sultan, asking him for an Ottoman attack on Spain, reflecting how much political power Nasi had at the Porte. I have talked extensively about the Venetian War of Cyprus between 1570 and 1573 in the first four episodes of the podcast, also called the Venetian mini-series. I would encourage everyone to go and check that series because ultimately it ended with an Ottoman victory, but at a great cost. Mehmed Sokolu managed to pacify relations between the Venetians and the Ottomans, and slowly Joseph Nasi's influence declined. However, Joseph Nasi's name Though understudied in the literature of the Turco-Venetian War, it is of great relevance in the diplomacy, economics, and politics of the Porte, Eastern Mediterranean wine trade, and in the Jewish early modern history, all intrinsically linked between 1559 and the early 1580s. Joseph Nasi was a remarkable figure. His knowledge of the politico-economic European landscape, including places like Spain, Portugal, France, 
the Italian republics, the Netherlands, the Holy Roman Empire, and Poland made him a European universal asset for the Ottoman Sultan. Most importantly, his enmity towards the majority of the Sultan's enemy as well, namely Spain and later on Venice, greatly complemented Selim's agenda, despite of the serious turbulences in Franco-Ottoman foreign policies between 1568 and 1569. Joseph Nasi was a staunch supporter of the invasion of Cyprus, which equaled with a deliberate violation of peace with the Republic of Venice. In addition, his support for the Protestant movement in Flanders and for the Morisco Rebellion in Spain made him an important figure in the political triangle formed by the Ottomans, Spain and Venice. The one remarkable figure that would continuously show opposition to Nasi was Mehmed Sokolu Pasha. Selim II's reign would abruptly end in 1574 when he passed away, shortly after the peace with the Venetians was signed. Nasi's influence would slowly decline, though economically he still had substantial influence over naming, for example, rulers in Moldova, even considering at one point himself to become a ruler in either Wallachia or Moldova, which did not happen. He also did not become ruler or king of Cyprus. He would pass away in 1579 in Constantinople and would be remembered as a great benefactor to the Jewish people in the 16th century Europe, the Levant and the Ottoman Empire. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wanderers History Podcast, mainly about the history of Joseph Nasi and his relationship with Ottoman Sultan Selim II. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the channel to make sure you never miss any new material from the podcast. Until the next time, all the best. <laughs>